Hello, I'm Kerry Eustace and you're listening to Careers Talk. Coming up this week, are you thinking of taking your first steps into the third sector? In a previous pod, we mentioned there's been a rise in charity vacancies, so we've asked Elaine Smethurst from the National Council of Voluntary Organisations to come in and tell us about the charity sector and its impressive resilience during the recession. We're also joined in the studio by one of our star experts, Claire Whitmell, or job goddess to our regular forum users. The jobmarketsuccess.com blogger has left her Italian hamlet San Severino for a few days in London. Hello Claire, sorry Hello. we couldn't sort out some better weather for you, it's a bit grey isn't it? It is a bit. What's anyway, it like at home? Very hot. Drat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's great news, we're really pleased about that. Uh, later on Claire's going to be sharing some thoughts on why interviews are tricky whichever side of the desk you're on. But first, as always, we've been keeping our news noses to the ground. Trusty regulars Harriet Minter and Ali White are here to share their top stories. Now, employers beware. Hell hath no fury like a job candidate scorned. Or something like that. Um, Harriet, this is your story, isn't it? It is my story, yes. And this is the story put out by assessment solutions provider SHL this week that almost half, about 49% of candidates, have a negative perception of an organisation if they don't get the job. I think this is possibly one of the more obvious statements that anyone has put out (laughs) on a press release. Um, But within this, they've also found out that 18% of respondents who felt they had a bad recruitment experience have then kind of cut their ties with the company as a direct result. So they haven't wanted to, for example, if you had a bad interview at an estate agent's, you wouldn't use that estate agent's to sell your house later on. Oh, really? Okay. I think this is... A, very obvious, but also a little bit silly on the behalf of those who are being, um, those who've been rejected from Mm. the job, because actually there's nothing like a bit of persistence. And if you really want to work for an organisation, you're going to have to accept the fact that you might not get the first job that comes along. And we did have a blog on this, which was um, somebody who'd set up a web production company and he'd had a really tough route into web production. He'd basically had to teach himself and he'd really had to fight to get his first job. And then he'd set up his own company and he had somebody come to him wanting a job. He met them, thought they were very nice, but didn't think they were right for the particular role. So he didn't hire them. Sent them an email saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And got this very nice email back saying, I completely understand your decision, but I would love to work for you. And I think I'd be really great at this job. I will come in and work for free for a few weeks. And if you don't like me at the end of it, you don't have to hire me. Good for him. Yeah. And he was so impressed by him that he let him come into the office. And actually, he was great at the job. He was absolutely perfect. And he hired him. Yeah, I completely agree that persistence pays off. Because I don't know, fans of the pod might remember we interviewed Ore Duba, who was the Newsround presenter, um, a few months ago. And he got into TV via the network, which is at the Edinburgh TV Festival. It's a training programme for young broadcasters. And he applied five years on the trot before he got accepted. He got rejected every year but because he knew that it was the right thing for him he kept going and if it's the right company for you you should keep going shouldn't you absolutely and also I think um it's very silly to take it personally I know it feels personal because obviously you've gone and met these people and they've said no we didn't like you enough but it's not personal it's just that right then at that point you weren't the right candidate for the job so um these 50% of UK candidates who don't like the company just because they've been rejected 
maybe you're not supposed to be working there anyway. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've picked out um, more of a, a trend than a headline or a campaign. It's a recruitment campaign from a Dutch law firm and they're called um, Houthoff Baruma and they've launched a video game to try out aspiring lawyers as part of their selection process. So what the lawyers do is they have to... Um, simulate like an offshore takeover to get a feel of what it's like to be a modern lawyer and clients can do it as well and I actually thought it's quite an interesting way for a quite a serious profession to attract talent and there's a trailer on YouTube which has a bit of die hard about it. The deal of the century. A Chinese state-owned enterprise is taking over the oldest family business in the Netherlands. The pressure is on. It's a race against time. Nothing is what it seems. Everybody has their own interest. There is no room for mistakes. Do you have what it takes to close the deal? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good idea, and I think this is something points towards a trend that a lot of employers are are doing this at the moment trying something new with their recruitment processes to sort of engage with candidates to, to challenge them and to test them before they get into the role so to see how they perform um, there's another company um, LV which is like an insurance group and they've got a text campaign where um, you can take a picture of one of their campaign posters their recruitment posters of a person with a specific role and they phone you back with a recorded message of the person talking about their job so that's a way of engaging with the company uh, another campaign that caught my eye was um, Big Yellow Self Storage and they've got an internship program and are inviting candidates to join a Facebook group and post a headline on the wall with the words big and yellow and the most creative, uh, those that show flair with social media are the ones that are going to find themselves getting a placement on the scheme where you have to employ marketing and creative thinking so it's a good way to test it. I think it's really great and also far more interesting than having to fill in another application. Yeah, boring CVs (laughs) where they are thinking of the past. I mean there's another really famous scheme probably the mother the you know <laughs> the trendsetter of the schemes and this is the Saatchi and Saatchi scholarship um, summer scholarship 2010 and they it was also via Facebook uh, they set up a group and about 6,000 sort of young people and graduates joined um, and in January they started setting tasks um, and the tasks were going to be related to the work that Saatchi and Saatchi does via social media marketing and creative thinking again and um, the first task that they set was to create a Facebook group compare the meerkat for PM or something you know the silly yeah. stuff you get on uh, <laughs> Facebook and the people with the most followers would get through to the next round so top wow. 50% get through and they just get whittled down I just think it's a really great way great campaign to engage people think, do you remember how our, our doctor in the pod last week was talking about not being able to test your skills on an application form yeah so something point. like a creative industry that is a really good test of skills they're going to be using in their everyday yeah. life and then there's the cynical side as well it's good PR for the company because we're yeah, talking about it <laughs> <laughs> it's all in the news yeah. Ali, what's your story? Um, well, I noticed a story, it's a recruitment issue, but one that people can't really do much about, but it's um, French president Nicolas Sarkozy is said to have banned statuesque bodyguards <laughs> in the presidential guard. And, you know, he's quite well known for his stature of about five foot five inches and being a little bit sensitive about it. So a police source did tell La Parisienne, I hope I'm saying that right, that there's no point in recruiting supermen as large sized candidates stood little chance of being taken on. But <laughs> That is <laughs> <laughs> but um, it got me sort of looking around the web and seeing actually height has been you know well-researched area to do with career success. And if you are taller, it does seem you get ahead. Uh, I did see one study that said 
said a six foot tall man would expect 1.5% more than a workmate who's five foot ten. Salary? A salary, yeah. He said it could be worth around £470 a year for the heels. I feel really strongly (laughs) about this because (laughs) women get paid less. Yeah. Short people get paid less and unattractive people get paid less, apparently. <laughs> so, I mean, thank God for makeup. Otherwise, yeah. I would not be earning anything. Yeah. But it's interesting because apparently the effect wasn't so bad for women. Apparently, your female workers need to be an average of about four inches higher to get a similar bo- boost in earnings. So I think it really is a male thing. They say that because people attach status to height, apparently, according to this research. So if you are taller, you seem to be getting ahead or well, getting more in your pay packet anyway. But we had an amazing <laughs> press release didn't we to do this story you know tips of what you can do if you are short to get ahead yeah (laughs) have you got any of those tips with you I did um definitely I'm wanting good the high altitude shoes you know layered up shoes apparently like Tom Cruise wears don't do it well I think (laughs) (laughs) I think Nicholas Sarkozy has used these in the past when I was reading in a news article I've seen a Cuban heel on him many times (laughs) um but like other things like you know get a different haircut and dress you know a beehive yeah so I think you know work on your image <laughs> Claire what do you think about this as you interview a lot of candidates do you like tall people <laughs> I think image is very very important obviously if you look the part then you're more likely to get the job if you turn up looking very scruffy if you turn up looking like you never iron your clothes that you haven't actually made any effort then I don't think you you give such a good impression as someone who's obviously taken trouble to to sort of like get suited and booted but I do also think there's something in the height thing and Mm. I think there's also something I hate to say it there's something to do with being attractive as well if you look nice if you smile if the um, if your interviewer has an opportunity to to check you out and there has been some evidence to suggest (laughs) that uh, that's exactly what interviewers are going to do I don't really actually want to give away any trade secrets but I (laughs) I definitely think that looking the part and looking attractive is going to make the other person react to you in perhaps a more positive way hot and tall people you're in (laughs) on the subject of the creative campaigns that some employers are using to attract and test talent we've been talking to some people who've been involved in this new wave of recruitment strategies one of them is nick wellings who's just finishing his as levels at sixth form in sheffield in fact he's actually got an exam for business studies today he got involved in think big which is a scheme from the company big yellow self-storage which we mentioned earlier where people could compete for a placement on a training internship with the company's digital marketing team i've got him on the phone now so we're going to go over to him hi nick hi how are you? I'm great, thanks to you. Good. Are you busy revising like mad? Uh, yes, it's good to actually have a break for change. <laughs> oh, good. Um, you've got a place on the Big Yellow Self Storage. Uh, yes, I have, yes. Congratulations. Thank you. And how did you find out about Think Big campaign? Well, I was actually on Twitter speaking to one of my friends and um, I received a tweet and it was something about a competition. So I thought, oh, I'll have a look. And it was by a company called Big Yellow. And I didn't really know who they were until then. I decided to click on the link, see what it is about. And it Mm -hmm. took me over to Facebook. And there was like a campaign, a competition kind of thing uh, to enter a tagline. So I thought I'd give it a go. What was your strap line? What did you say? Um, Mine was uh, Big Bird from Sesame Street is big and yellow, just like the big yellow storage company. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So what was it you had to do exactly? Do you have to write a headline or...? Um, They were looking for something, it could be completely random or something funny or strange, as long as it used the words big and yellow. So that was the first completely random thing I thought of, so I thought (laughs) I'll just try it, 
you never know what will happen. <laughs> Fantastic. And why did the position appeal to you? Why did you want the job? Well, I know what with it was just coming out of a recession, trying to find jobs in things like apprenticeships being difficult. And this new idea that I hadn't seen before on Facebook, it looked good and it did appeal to both myself and some of my friends. And to actually do something media-related did appeal to me because that's what I'd like to do at university. Okay. And do you think you've learnt any skills that you'll be taking with you into your career? Um, definitely uh, better communication skills because I've been speaking to friends on Facebook and then family by phone and even a few celebrities from Waterloo Road that I do and saying, oh, can you go on Facebook and vote for me and pass it on? So I've definitely um, improved communication skills by it. And do you think that these forms of new media are going to be um, a way of recruiting talent in the future? Do you think you're going to be using them when you've got a job and you're looking to hire someone? Um, I definitely think so, because when I think about it, pretty much everybody I know does use social networking sites like Facebook, and even if they're not sat at a computer, they'll, they might have it on the phone or email or something. So it's definitely a way that you can get in contact with people. That's great, Nick. Thank you very much. Well done once again. Thank you. And good luck with your exam. Thanks. That was Harriet talking to Nicholas Wellings in Sheffield. Um, Harriet, you also put out a tweet on Twitter to see if anybody else had done anything like this and you had quite a big response, didn't you? I did. We're doing our own bit of social media marketing there. Yeah. Um, but what I can tell you, our Twitter followers, what should we call them? Our Guardian tweeters? Our, <laughs> our, our guitars? I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyway, our Twitter followers came out with loads of great responses, which is fantastic. Helen Powell told us that one of her graduates got a job offer via his blog. Another has nearly got a job via Twitter. Process still ongoing. So good luck with that. John O'Hopkins says, I just got a social media internship via people retweeting me, asking for social media companies in my area. And uh, Vox Pop PR careers have said, my survey of 57 graduates in PR found out that 52% found work through social media. So that's great. That's quite high. Yeah. Good for them. Time for a quick Q&A review now. We ran a guide to assessment centres this week and Ali can bring us the highlights now. Ali, is there any way you can beat those infamous psychometric tests according Ooh. to our experts? There's definitely some good tips about how you can treat the day. You mm. know. Um, first of all, I, th- I thought this was very interesting, but it's remembering, you know, because you'll do a lot of exercises on the day, but remember they are vehicles to observe your behaviour, you know, rather than just trying to win the task. Yeah. I think it's very important, you know, and, you know, demonstrate always by the junior apprentice which I've been watching yep, avidly me too. but you know I think a lot of the time if people try and dominate and alienate other team members to you know get to the end of the task yeah. and you know really shine it can be you know a bit negative they, they want to see how you interact with people and if you're a team player in a yeah. lot of cases so mm. I thought that was really interesting so do remember it is your actual behavior that's being assessed. yeah the process that you go through rather than the outcome exactly yeah you know, and uh, you know and the other side you don't want to sit there and say nothing because you're not going to be a on anything so I think it's just making sure you interact well with the group so that was good and um, another thing that was interesting because you will do a lot on the day is if an exercise doesn't go so well don't panic you know it's not all over for you um, because they kind of take an aggregate of your behavior on the day so you might you know have a bad task but then a really good task and you know they're going to assess you all day long but on the other side don't you know if the first task goes incredibly well don't think wow breeze that then and Mm. (laughs) switch yourself off for the rest of the day (laughs) because that won't go so well either 
And um, another one that oh, made me gulp a bit, but <laughs> be prepared for some twists in ah. sort of unexpected presentations. And we've all done it. They're kind of ice breaking, standing up, introducing yourself. Why do you want this role? But one of the panels said he has thrown in a question saying, if you were to write your, a book about yourself, what would it be titled? And he gives them five minutes <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> I know I've been thinking all night <laughs> my boyfriend said I should be my title should be did I leave the oven on because <laughs> I swear every time I leave the house did maybe I leave not the oven one on? for an assessment center no. though, Ali. not gonna make a great <laughs> he was trying to argue that perhaps it showed how conscientious I was and how you know where I am <laughs> you know well argued <laughs> I don't think that would be a book many people would read <laughs> it's great um, anything else that they picked out? Um, well, some really good sort of general tips about, you know, study your CV and make sure you know the job spec inside out so you can be as well advised as possible and just, you know, do the best you can. You know, you're being tested on being yourself as well, so don't go in and pretend to be the different person because you're going to find that really hard to do every day if you get the job. Yeah, <laughs> um, And they also shared some resources for places you can go and try out psychometric tests so you can practice. So yeah, definitely. we'll share those in the show notes. Yeah, if you want to get yourself well prepared, I think it's a good tip. Well, thanks very much. Okay. A common query on our forums is from career changes looking for a more meaningful and socially responsible working life. The first stop for many is the third sector and joining me in the studio now to talk about charity work and the biggest issues facing charity workers and job seekers is Elaine Smethurst, Head of Workforce Development at the National Council for Voluntary Organisations or the NCVO. Elaine has been working in the voluntary sector since 1984 when she moved across from a career in advertising to join the NSPCC as Head of Marketing. Um, But first, Elaine, to start off, can you just tell us what workforce development is and why it's important to the sector? Yes, sure. Um, Workforce development is really about promoting um, the the careers in the sector to encourage people to join the sector. It's about um, ensuring that the people working in the sector have the right skills uh, and ensuring that uh, employers are treating those people well so that they're, they're satisfied and happy. Um, employees. I would say as well though that workforce isn't just the paid staff, it's also volunteers and trustees who make up a huge part of what we would describe as the charity sector workforce. Um, it's important because the the, we're competing with other sectors for the best people. We want the best talent. We need to ensure that our workforces are diverse and represent the communities in which they, they live. And we, we really want to ensure that people both join us and stay with us for as long as we can. The NCVO published some research recently that had found that the sector had actually weathered the recession really well. It had grown and it managed to retain staff. And how did it manage to do this? And is it going to continue? The research was published this year, but it's actually reporting on statistics that came out in 2008. And we know that the sector had grown for 10 years up till that time. But what's been happening in the last year, we're not entirely sure of. The other thing we know is that um, we've got a lag. The public and private sectors, and certainly the private sector, had the recession hit them before it hits us. And with the um, upcoming public spending cuts, we're likely to see job losses over the next year. Okay, but what about sort of job security? Because I know the funding cycle for charities and voluntary sector comes to an end in March 2011. What's that going to? What impact is that going to have on job security in the sector in general? 
we're all quite worried, okay. but none of us know for sure what effect it's going to have. Um, a lot of organisations are doing a lot of planning about what might happen if all the money disappears, if some of the money disappears and so on. We are um, thinking that what will happen is that there will be some job losses and a lot of restructuring. But at the same time, there will be an increasing need for the services of our sector and there will be new projects being set up to meet needs that were perhaps being met previously through other public sector organisations. So it's going to change, as it always has done, and jobs will go, but we think new jobs will also be being created. Okay. Um, I mean, despite that, the fact that it might that, that might happen, there was uh, the voluntary sector skills survey found that fundraising was one huge area where there's a massive skills gap, isn't there? I mean, why is that? I mean, is it an unpopular role? And what can be done to get more fundraisers in? That research was done back in 2007, and that's three years ago. But I think the need for fundraisers continues to be one of the hugest kind of areas in in our sector. It's not unpopular, but it does require a specific set of skills. And good fundraisers can chase both the jobs and the salaries that they want. We don't have enough fundraisers to meet all the needs of all our organisations. It's a very competitive sector. A lot of charities are chasing pots of money which won't stretch to everybody's needs and we find that um, trying to get new fundraisers in is quite a challenge for us. Um, I think one of the things the sector could do is is be a little bit more flexible about encouraging newcomers in and perhaps not always requiring somebody to have previous experience doing the job somewhere else. Mm, that's interesting because that relates to my next question. We get lots of questions on the forum from people who are often from the private sector looking for a career change and often thinking that the charity world could meet the needs that they weren't getting in their previous job. I mean, are those sort of professionals with a private sector background going to be attractive to to the voluntary sector and in roles such as fundraising, do you think? Certainly, and the sector does need business skills. It not only needs um, IT skills and finance skills, um, project management skills. Um, the difficulty with fundraising is that the fundraising skills labelled like that don't really exist outside our sector. So what career changers need to be able to do is identify what their transferable skills are and try and persuade the potential employer that they could do the job even though they haven't had the label fundraiser up until now. But certainly um, one of the roles that working for a charity within NCBO are always trying to do is encourage employers to look at outsiders as we see them uh, and get them across. And are they becoming more receptive to that? Um, It does depend on the organisation. There are some organisations who will encourage always newcomers because it brings in new ways of thinking. Some organisations are much less risk aware and will happily refuse to kind of take anybody because they haven't done the job before. Well, you actually moved over from advertising, didn't you, into charity work? And how did you find it? And have you got any tips for anybody who might want to do something similar? I found the first six months of moving across probably the most challenging of my career. Really? The, the culture and the working environment was so different to what I'd been used to. Um, I wasn't at the time actively looking to get into a charity, but I was at the point in my advertising career where I was wanting to do something else, wanting to do something perhaps a bit more personally satisfying. Um, the job I saw was advertised and I applied for it. And I, thinking back, I was really lucky to get it. My advice to people now would be to certainly do some research, do it, take it very seriously. Any job application, treat it as seriously as they would a job in, in their current sector. Network as much as they can. 
and also um, get some voluntary sector experience, however that might be achieved in a relevant way onto their CV. Can you identify any areas um, or causes within the charity sector that are growing where there might be more opportunities for contribution and for people to career change in or find work? At least half the jobs are in social care. And that's a growing area. And again, what we were discussing earlier about public sector cuts and, and services, um, there will be increasing opportunities in social care charities and health, uh, education, environment. Climate change is clearly one of the big issues that's affecting everybody. And there are going to be more and more roles in climate change charities too. Thanks again to Elaine Smethurst from NCVO. Elaine is actually one of our resident experts on the career site. So if you have any questions about working in the charity sector, follow the link on our show notes and get posted. Now we've picked out some choice charity roles for the jobs top 10. And we have pod favourite Freddie Grinter from Guardian Jobs here to help Ali reveal the chart. But first, Freddie, I need to tell you, um, Jefferson Davis come in last week and... He's got a good voice. I don't know if he's going to take your title. He does. He's a pretty smooth operator. Yeah. We were enjoying it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling pressure. No, I'm sure you'll be great. Take it away. Kicking off the countdown at 10, it's one for the Boris fans amongst you. The Lord Mayor's Appeal is looking for an events manager. At 9, it's acting executive director for Spitalfields Music. CRA Legal is looking for a health worker based in Birmingham at 8. While in at 7, it's action for children. The charity is after a children's centre manager. Six is a lecturer in church history for the University of Glasgow. And halfway through at five, it's a campaign project manager for the British Heart Foundation. In at four, Northern Stage is looking for a press officer. It's head of jazz programmes for the Royal Academy of Music at three. And at two, the Tate is in need of a web designer. But top of the podium this week, it's the National Assembly for Wales, which is looking for a trainee researcher and two research officers. For more info on those roles and lots more, you can visit guardianjobs.co.uk. Now, if you're thinking of applying for any of those roles, our job goddess has prepared a few thoughts on interviews that you should bear in mind. It seems even far from perfect and far from stylish candidates stand a chance. Interviews are tricky, whichever side of the desk you're on. Once, when I was hiring for a training project, I asked an interviewee about his long-term plans, including where he thought he might want to be in five years. He replied, doing your job. I felt like telling him, no you don't. You don't want to have to sit through interviews like this one. He was the textbook example of what not to do during an interview. Standard advice is to dress appropriately, no flash jewellery and don't wear comedy socks. They're (laughs) distracting and it's hard to take the interviewee seriously. He didn't display any of the usual signs of nervousness. If anything, he was too relaxed. It was all he could do to not put his feet up on the desk and ask for an ashtray. (laughs) But I think he'd been reading too many body language articles because he did that mirroring thing where you copy your interviewer's behavior to show you're on the same wavelength. I cross my legs, he crosses his. I lean in, he leans in. I smile, he smiles. Don't do that, it's creepy. (laughs) I became more focused on not moving than I wasn't actually listening to him. Another problem was that he hadn't prepared particularly well. Interviewers expect candidates to research both the company and the role, to run through possible questions and answers, and prepare a collection of good stories that show off skills and achievements. 
The idea is that you tie these into the specific role, not just reel off what sounded to me like memorized answers to standard questions. And he didn't have any questions for me either, nothing to show real enthusiasm and interest for the job. But despite the creepiness and lack of research or enthusiasm, he did have plenty of redeeming qualities. He was a really credible candidate with the right background and skills. Just as importantly though, he was likeable. You could see he'd be reliable and that he would get on well with people in the office and with the clients. It just goes to show that you don't have to perform perfectly in an interview. If you don't have the exact experience or background, ensure you know about the company. If you didn't bother with much research, then better make sure you have the skills and personality to back that up because despite doing the interview wrong, he got the job. And as for the comedy socks, a winner for the intern who said they made him look <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> oh, that's it then. Comedy socks, the key to interview success. Yes, but I don't actually like to have to look at them. Oh. <laughs> um, is that a true story, Claire? It is. So it messing is. it up, you can still get the job? Yes, you can, because I think obviously there's lots of advice what you should do to, to be the perfect candidate. But when it comes down to it, I think what most people are looking for is obviously the, uh, the ability to do the job whether that's technical ability or whether you know, you've got the right skills. But it's also very, very important that you, um, you appear likeable, that the interviewer can see that you're the sort of person that's not going to irritate, for example, the co-workers, who will be a good, um, a good image, a good front for the company. Thanks very much, Claire. Thank you. Before we go, Ali has some Q&As for your diary. Okie doke. 16th of June, we've got What Else Can a Youth Worker Do? And this is first in a series exploring career progression and alternative options for a range of professionals. And the 17th of June, we have digital advertising, so come and join us. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks very much to our guests, Elaine Smethurst, Nicholas Wellings, Freddie Grinter from Guardian Jobs, our lovely job goddess Claire Whitmell, and of course, Ali White and Harriet Minter. I'm Kerry Eustace. Careers Talk was produced by Kate Taylor. And until next week, goodbye. <laughs>